Michael Graff Show. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Here in America, we don't tolerate that kind of crap, sir. The Michael Graff Show. Now the only thing anybody's going to remember me for after I die is being that blind guy. Zip code famous Michael Graff Show. You couldn't open a French whore's legs with a wheel of cheese. So if you're confused about what I'm saying... Listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. Michael Graff. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? Because you know I've updated it to include all white guys who add Izzle to anything. Screw charity, man. And you know, I pledged $50 to stop diabetes, and then I found out that there's still diabetes. And I'm, I'm like, what? Man, talk about a ripoff. Zip code famous Michael Graff show. There's an old saying in Tennessee that says, fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. A theologist might refer to him as a practical joke from God. A sociologist may refer to him as the voice of reason in a cesspool of humanity. While a philosopher may find him to be the ill-advised punchline to the universe. Or maybe that's a punching bag. Whatever. But of course, you know him as the host of the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. I'll just go ahead and assume right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen... If you are actually hearing the sound of my voice, it means that the failure that is my internet service provider actually stayed up long enough for me to be able to upload this podcast. And, you know, to that, let's congratulate the fine folks at CenturyLink for providing the stellar internet service for this program. Hey, everybody. Yeah. You know, this this internet service provider of mine. Now, I, I started out, they were Quest. They used to be called Quest. And about a year ago, or le- just under a year ago, they became CenturyLink. Now, the first the first couple of years that I had CenturyLink, I really ne- I never had a problem with them. Um, they were consistent. They, they're always up. Everything was great. No complaints whatsoever. Anytime I had to deal with them for a billing whatever... Because I used to want to talk to a person to pay my bill. I know I was really weird. I actually wanted human interaction, which... I know, I know. I'm Call me completely insane. So, I, I their customer service was always great. And then, I guess it was about 2009 or so, they just started to go to hell. And my my service, I would just have these frequent periods where I just didn't have internet. It would just go down. I go down for an hour, come back up for a couple of hours, go back down for an hour. It was insane. So trying to deal with their tech support was, of course, a nightmare. You had to call the Philippines. Yeah, their call center was not located in um, in India, like most places. It was actually in the Philippines. The Philippines. And getting somebody that spoke even reasonably coherent English was just about as difficult as it was to call India. I mean, you can kind of understand people from the Philippines. Nice people. All right, just get them to sing peelings for you some, sometimes. That's, <laughs> but no, they were nice people. But, uh, I mean, 
unless you went to level three tech support, which is the highest level tech support. And it's like playing a video game. First, you, you call up and you get the very basic tech support that they pay people like, I think over there, you know, 85 cents an hour. And then they tax you at an insane rate so you can buy a Mel DeMarco some more shoes. That's like the first level you get. So they tell you, all right, just unplug your modem. Okay. And plug it back in. That's, that's their level of tech support. They just read right off a script, you know. And then you go to level two, which is sort of like, yeah, it's like a slightly more advanced tech support where they still talk to you like you're five and assume you're an idiot. And frankly, most people are. And they still read from the same stupid scripts, but it's a little bit better. They might actually be able to diagnose something. At least at that point, you're all, you're, you might even open a command prompt. And then there's the level three tech support where they actually try and fix the problem. And then, you know, they'll send a tech out or whatever. So that was that was like three years ago. Now, fast forward. All right. So I, I, I finally got that resolved. It took months, but I finally got it resolved. I had my account credited for, I don't know, several months. I hardly had to pay a damn thing for internet service probably for two or three months, maybe four months, because of just how bad my internet service provider was back then. Well, now here we are again in 2012, and every night at about 11 o'clock, my internet goes down, or it fluctuates. It goes down for, again, you know, 10, 20 minutes. It comes back up. It goes back down. Sometimes it's for a minute or two at a time. It's not even down for very long, but it's just constantly intermittent. It's consistently inconsistent would be the best way I would describe my internet service. Um, between about 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. Well, now it's gotten to the point where it's just spilling over into the daytime and it's just become completely inconsistent and I have no idea what it is. I started having this problem a couple of months ago. I called up their tech support and of course the geniuses over there decide they're going to send me a new modem because that was clearly the problem in the first place. Was the Oh yeah, it's the modem. It's the damn modem. So they send me a new modem, and of course, lo and behold, I, I get it, I install it a couple days later, you know, we're back to the same old problem. And, uh, you know, maybe, look, I run a lot of electronic stuff in here, I don't know, I've always had the same kind of setup, I've always had a lot of stuff in here, it doesn't interfere with it. Uh, they try to tell you that that's, that, well, you have a lot of computers, so what? I have a lot of computers, you know, I have, I have like four machines running in here right now, and I have a bunch of other stuff. Right now, it's dark in here, so it looks like it looks like NASA. It looks like Mission Control in this room, but that's fine. That doesn't interfere with it. They try to tell you that it does. It does not. I I've got to call them up yet again, and after this podcast, I will. And God help me if it takes me three days to upload this this show, but uh, I will. I will get it up uh, for you. <laughs> that's what she said. No, I will. I will get this uh, this podcast up for you. Uh, uh, hopefully. It's not by October. Uh, if you're wondering, this is the, uh, what is today anyway? I don't even know, man. It's, it's Wednesday, September the 19th, 2012. Uh, that is the date on today's podcast. And uh, yeah, it is the zip code famous Michael Groff show ranting about my internet service provider. And uh, obviously, if you're hearing this now, I was able to, uh, to get this show up on our server. But God knows how long it took me. All right. Um, you could very well be hearing this show in another decade, another century, another millennia. I don't even know. That's probably how long it took to get this damn thing up there. I don't 
Uh, all right. Well, here we go. Contact information for the program, by the way, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Uh, at Michael Groth on Twitter. That is my, uh, that's, that's where you can go and twit me or tweet me or whatever. Twitter, Twitter me um, over there. I know I don't post a lot on Twitter. I know I probably should, every time I go and, and do anything, I, I know I'm supposed to like, if I tell you, if, if I get up and take a crap at, at nine o'clock in the morning, I need to tell you that that's what I'm doing. I know, I know that's the purpose of Twitter and I, I haven't been posting. And actually, you know, what's funny is I actually do have relevant things that I want to post and, and say up there. And then I just go, eh, I'll just, I'll save it for the show. And then by the time I do the podcast, of course, I've forgotten what I wanted to bring up and what I should have written on Twitter. And I know the purpose is to just constantly self-promote and constantly put thoughts up there. And I don't know that I feel like I need to be funny and or I need to be witty. And I just sometimes I just don't feel it. So I don't know. All right. But that's the Twitter at Michael Graf on Twitter. Um, also, um, what other? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Graf show on Google Talk. You can add me over on uh, on G Talk or, of course, uh, email. Uh, we always went through that. Uh, Michael Graf show on AOL Instant Messenger. And um, if you send smoke signals, I'll probably respond to those as well. Anything else? You can always go to the one, the only com. And while you're there, you can listen to all of our uh, podcasts. You can comment on these shows. I really encourage you to do that. The only other thing I would encourage you to do even more is make a donation to this program. You can do that at michaelgroff.com as well. The PayPal link is there. My PayPal address, if you want to just expedite the process, is mike at kmgx.com. That's my PayPal address. You can uh, we, we accept all donations. So uh, just throwing that out there. It just like, yeah, just like the, the Romney people, the Obama people, we'll, we'll take donations from anybody. I don't care who you are. Go ahead. Send money. It will go to this program. I promise you, every dollar you send this way does go into this program. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, that needs upgrading in here. Believe me. Um, so I don't use it to go and buy hamburgers. All right. Well, there's a lot going on. We have just so much to talk about since last week. I guess one of the first things we should get into, this was a big story that we did talk about on uh, previous shows, and that is the Chicago area teachers strike, ladies and gentlemen. That has come to a conclusion. Uh, that's over with. The teachers are going back to work as of today, Wednesday. So seven days on strike, and uh, the city of Chicago and the teachers union finally came to a deal. Now, if I understand this contract correctly that they worked out, it seems almost like a professional athlete's contract. Like it's a three-year contract, but it almost sounds like they have like a club option for a fourth year. It sort of reads like that. But from what I understand, the teachers did all right. Um, most of the stuff here that they wound up getting, I don't really have much of a problem with. I really don't. The only thing that I took umbrage with here, the only thing that, well, I'll get to it in just a second. You'll see. Uh, first of all, the teachers get a an incremental pay increase of about 8% over the next three years. And so that's not so bad. Uh, listen, the average teacher in Chicago makes $76,000 a year. They're among the highest paid teachers in the country. So when it all shakes out, they'll be making over 82000 bucks. Okay, listen, that's not bad. And I don't, I don't begrudge teachers making more money. I really don't. Um, I, I know that it's a tough job. I get it. I don't mind people making more money. I'm not going to be a stickler for that necessarily. 
Um, they're also uh, getting 50% of the new hires uh, within the Chicago area schools have to be from displaced teachers. So I guess that means uh, teachers that have been fired or laid off, at least 50% of those must be the new hires or the people that they bring back in. So uh, I guess that's all right. Uh, you know, I'm okay with that, I suppose. But this part right here left me scratching my head and I'm just sitting here going, huh? According to the contract between the teachers union and the city of Chicago, they're moving away from merit-based pay. Now we saw this coming. Merit-based pay is basically performance-based. In other words, you'll, you will get paid you know, your, your normal salary, but if you want to get a raise or if you want to keep your job, your students have to perform at a certain level over a given amount of years, okay? You have to, you have to show a consistent performance. Well, they're moving away from merit-based and they're turning it into this. 70% of a teacher's job security and pay will be based upon teacher practice and 30% will be based upon student performance, so teacher practice means the preparation of lesson plans. It is, uh, you know, attending teacher in services, your execution of your lesson plan, how you teach in the classroom, how you carry yourself as a teacher. I would also assume that that may also, you know, continuing your education as a teacher, attending, you know, certain courses to uh, to sort of. Uh, get caught up on on new materials and new teaching methods and all this sort of thing. But that is 70% of a teacher's evaluation, as it were, is based on this teacher practice. So this is what the union drew up. This is their, this is their dream. They want to move away from merit-based pay. And then 30% is based on student performance. And I guess that has to do with how they do on standardized tests, how they do in that individual teacher's classroom, how they do on state tests and, and district tests and all that sort of thing. Doesn't that sound backwards to anybody else? So in other words, a teacher's job performance in the Chicago area public school system is 30% based on how the students do. <laughs> that, I mean, that's just ridiculous. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, when I was growing up and you'd have math class. And I remember I had several math teachers that were like this. So you'd get math problems and you were told to show your work. And obviously you also had to write down the answer that you eventually got to these equations, but you'd have to show your work how you got there. So each problem was worth five points. The answer itself was only worth one point but showing your work was worth four points. So if you did the work and you somehow still got the wrong answer, you still got four out of five for that problem. So if you did the entire assignment, okay, and you got every single answer wrong somehow, but you did your work the right way, you showed your work properly, you still got four out of five. You still got an 80%. That's a B. It's a B minus. So that's sort of what they're saying here. They're saying, listen, the answer, the result doesn't really matter. I mean, how the student actually performs, whether they fail a test, whether they pass, I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. What matters more, what, what matters two and a third times as much as that, according to this contract, what matters two and a third times as much is how you teach.
how you articulate yourself in the classroom, how you present your material, how you write your lesson plans, how you teach is two and a third times as important as the result. I got news for you, man. And this is true with life. This is true with most every other profession. The only professions where this doesn't apply uh, apparently is education and medicine. Outside of those two areas, guess what, folks? This is the reality of life. Results are what matter. It's results. Nobody cares how you arrived at it. It's just like I would get marked off on those math problems because, you know, I would just... Listen, and this is I'm not trying to brag, I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass here, but I was a very good student in math for quite a long time until I got late in high school and then college. I, you know, I got to uh, I got to trig and then I just went Ugh. But um I, I tell you, uh I would get marked off because I just figured out the answer. I just in in my head I was always able to get the answer. And I didn't always have to show work. So, and I would say to the teacher, the teacher well, you have to show work. And I said, well, why? It's just a waste of time. It's just pointless, busy work when I already know the answer. So my analogy to a teacher once, and, and she was left scratching her head. I said, listen, let's say you're in a burning building, all right? And you're surrounded by fire. And, you know, the, the place is about to collapse on you. You're going to die very soon. But then I burst in through the door and I save your life and I get you out of that place do you really care how I got you out of the burning building? Does it really matter if I used a fire axe to break down the door and a fire extinguisher to blast my way through the flames and I had to put on a fire retardant suit or I went in there with a hose and I was blasting water all over the place or I just ran in and scooped you? Does it matter how I actually got you out of there or does it matter that I got you out of there in the first place? Does it matter that I saved your life or does it matter how I saved your life? I mean, sure, the how I saved your life is cool story, bro. I get it. I mean, it's it's... It's a good story and it's neat and it's something I can tell people. But the bottom line is it saved your life. If I come up with a cure for a disease, it doesn't matter how I arrived at that. It matters that I came up with a friggin' cure. Nobody cares how Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. They care that he invented the light bulb. Nobody, listen, the result is what's important. Think about it. Uh, at your job, whatever it is, you listening to this program right now, I know there's probably a lot of you that are, uh, that are, you know, right now currently in the, uh, you know, in the Obama uh, jobs plan, which is, you know, just sit on unemployment for a while and we'll figure it out. But uh, for those of you that do have a job, think about it at your job, unless you're in the uh, education or medical field, think about it this way. You're a salesman. All right. Does your boss really care how you made the sale? I mean, as long as you didn't break any laws, does your boss care how you made the friggin' sale as long as you made the friggin' sale? At the end of the day, they look at how many sales did you make? How much money did you get for the company? The result is what is important. That is the lesson here in life. And what a crappy lesson we're teaching our kids if we say to them, all right, look, you go to school. If your teacher is incompetent or if your teacher is unable to instruct you properly, you know what? It doesn't matter if you fail. The teacher is still going to have their job. Hey, man, as long as, as long as you tried hard, as long as you did all right, as long as you, know, you executed okay, you showed your work, essentially. As long as you did that, the final answer, the final product, in this case, the student, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it matters, but not really that much. It's only, you know, it, it's, it's, it's subsequent. It's not nearly as important 
as it's only 30% of the equation. You know, how you did it, how you taught is more important. Now, I know you're going to say, well, Mike, of course, if they're a good teacher, odds are the students are all going to do better anyway. So obviously it's important how they teach. Yes, it is. I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm just saying that that equation, that 70-30 should be flipped the other way. 70% should be based on student performance. I mean, think about your job. You work at McDonald's. You know, no one cares how you made the damn hamburger. As long as you made the hamburger. You know, as long as you didn't spit in it, you know. But I mean, if you if you made the hamburger, does anybody care if you went bun, you know, patty, cheese, pickle, bacon, onion, or you went bun, you know, bacon, pickle, cheese, patty, bun. You know, nobody cares the order that you did. As long as he did it, as long as you got the, the, the hamburger to the customer and, and it's made right, who cares? That's really what I'm talking about here. If the students are passing, if the students are, are doing better, if you're turning out more educated students than when they came into your classroom, that is what we care about. See, this is why, and I look at this kind of thing, oh, we don't want merit-based pay. Yeah, once again, you can understand why the United States ranks in the 20s in terms of education worldwide. Now, you might say, well, gee, I mean, there's like 190 countries, so, you know, 20th or 23rd, that's not so bad. Yeah, but we used to be number one. That's the point. We used to be tops. This was the most educated country in the world. It is no longer. Now, listen, there's many, many, many variables to that. This has, this has nothing to this. Well, I mean, it, it's not just teachers. It's not just merit pay versus teacher practice pay. It's not just showing up for a job versus actually putting your heart into it. It has nothing to do with just that. It's not just that. It's a number of things. It's the fact that discipline is gone from the school system. They moved away from that a long time ago. And now what they do is when a kid misbehaves in class, they put you in timeout. That's what they do. Timeout. We just have to put you in timeout. Calm you down a little bit. Now, of course, if you bring an aspirin to school, you're going to get suspended for the rest of your life. You'll be permanently expelled from the district because there's a zero tolerance policy against drugs, especially dangerous things like aspirin. But... If you bully somebody, if you disrupt class, we're going to give you a conduct cut. We're going to give you, you know, we're going to give you a timeout. That's what we're going to do. I will show you. We'll give you a timeout. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, in my dad's generation, what they would do to a kid that was disruptive in class, the teacher would warn them. And then if they didn't shape up, you'd get taken outside and you'd have the holy hell beat out of you. And you know what? You never misbehaved in class again. I'm not necessarily advocating that we bring back corporal punishment into our public school system because that would just be a nightmare. The, the society that we live in now is just far too litigious for it. However, we have to have accountability. Teachers have to be accountable. Students have to be accountable. Parents, parents have to be accountable. I know, what a wacky concept. And administrators have to be accountable. And they all have to be accountable to their specific role. Administrators need to be accountable for the discipline within their school, and they need to be accountable for the quality of teacher that they have. 
And they need to keep on top of that. Sorry, you know, I mean, you might want to teach when you're 80 years old, but most 80-year-olds are completely out of touch with how things need to be taught today and how, how we need to teach today. I'm not saying that all 80-year-olds are bad teachers. Probably there's some very good ones. But if you're 80 years old, chances are you shouldn't be teaching anymore. And uh, that's, that's just how it is, especially not computer courses. I, I knew, listen, uh, I, I was at a school where uh, there was a 67-year-old computer teacher. Didn't know jack squat about computers, really. Knew the basics. Read the manuals. And I know how to turn it on. And that was an Apple II GS or something. So, you know. All right. In any event. Uh, so you need, administrators need to be on task. Teachers need to be on task. They need to be accountable. Students need to be accountable. Everybody, ha and parents, of course, have a level of accountability as well. And everybody needs to be held to a standard. We need discipline in schools. We need, we need and this is the problem. This is the problem. Used to be if students misbehaved in school also, when I was growing up in the 80s, if you were a bad kid at a school, you got sent off to a different school. You were taken away from that school and you were sent to either a special school where, where other miscreants like yourself went or you went to a, a school in a different area where uh, you were more isolated from people that you knew and you couldn't make as much trouble. And you know, oftentimes, they, and they put you in special programs and stuff like that and uh, they, they were able to help. And listen, and there's also just the fact that there are some kids that you just can't educate. There are just some kids that are just, it's a waste of time, don't bother. There are. And, you know, and to say that there's not, that, that, let's, let's just be honest. Let's, let's stop. Let's cut through the BS. Let's put down the Kool-Aid here. Let's stop hugging the trees and let's just admit it. There are some students that are lost causes. We know who they are. And what we used to do with them back in, again, in the, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, we said, all right, you're going to wind up going to a juvenile correctional facility because you are a constant troublemaker. You constantly vandalize or beat up other kids. So we're going we're gonna to put you in either a juvenile correctional facility. We're going to have you set up for military service and community or community service. Or you're going to shape up. I mean, one of the three is going to happen, but Something is going to change right here and right now. What's it going to be? Because the minute you raise your hand to somebody again, you're going to the juvenile correctional facility. That's what's going to happen. Nowhere in this, in this teacher contract, nowhere in here, did the union try to fight for better disciplinary standards. Nowhere did these teachers fight to have uh, you know, to, to, to go and, and have different administrative policies to deal with these troublesome kids. Instead, they'd rather move away from merit pay. They'd rather move away because that way, hey, look, if the kid fails, I shouldn't be held accountable because I have a, a whole room full of ghetto kids. There are some kids that are just going to fail and there are some kids that are just going to be bad and a teacher can't, there is no teacher that has a 100% success rate. Some students are just C students and some students are just D students. Some students just aren't that bright or they don't, they have different ways of learning and some teachers can't handle it or some teachers just, listen, they, they have these huge class sizes. So I sympathize with teachers on a lot of levels. It's just that I think there does need to be some type of performance within 
how we evaluate a teacher. If you have year after year after year of failing students, if I'm a sales guy and week and week after week after week, I don't make a sale, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, at first I might get, I might get some coaching. I might get some help, but then there's going to come a point where I am going to lose my job. That is a very realistic possibility. Why it is that we hold educators to a different standard than we hold any other uh, business or any other profession, uh, I, I really don't understand. It's very weird to me. Very weird. But whatever, the, the teachers union has, uh, it's all been resolved and the kids are back to school and the teachers appear happy. So I guess if they're happy, I'm happy, whatever, we can finally be done with that story. All right. Well, there's a lot of other stuff happening uh, that I want to get into. Did you? Th I don't even know what to make of this. I will plead somewhat ignorant to this story, but I know it's big, so I'm just going to mention it. I guess they found a lost piece of papyrus from the fourth century. Now, this was discovered by a historian of Christianity at Harvard Divinity School. Yeah, the piece of uh, papyrus is believed to be from the 4th century, and all it simply says uh, is, this is obviously a, uh, a line that has never appeared in any other scripture before. It just says, Jesus said to them, my wife, and that's it. The findings were unveiled in Rome on Tuesday before the Catholic Church. And these discoveries will obviously shake up the religious world. Look, I, I plead complete ignorance here. I don't know much about theology. Uh, I, I don't know what this really means. I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of crap to me. I don't know why it would change any religious symbolism to anything. You know, I don't know. The discussion, let's see, the discussion is particularly animated in the Roman Catholic Church where despite calls for change, the Vatican has... Uh, reiterated the teaching that priesthood cannot be open to women and married men because of the model set by Jesus. Now, of course, this would imply that Jesus was married and that if Jesus can be married, then priests can be married within the Catholic Church. And I've always said that I think that priests should be married. I don't think it's, I think it's just ridiculous that you repress them sexually. You want to talk about why it is that these priests go and molest little girls and little boys well, it's because you repress them sexually. You, you, you take their sexual desire and you make it seem so evil and wrong and you tell them to repress it and you have them repress it and you have them take the vow of celibacy and you tell them that masturbating is a moral sin and you do all these things to these Catholic church and then you wonder, you wonder why the Catholic priests go around and they molest kids. Now, I'm not making, I'm not making an excuse for them. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying that it's anything short of disgusting and horrific. But you wonder why it happens, and when you have that mindset, there it is. And this piece of paper, apparently, this piece of papyrus where it says, Jesus is talking about my wife. Now, we don't know if the context for how it was used, if he was even married, who really knows. Um, but apparently, that's another one of the biggest stories of the day. And then, as if that's not enough, there's Mitt Romney. And the, the big scandal that's going on, ooh, the secret tapes. Yes, shh, don't tell anybody, but there's secret tapes out there. Yeah. 
Mitt Romney. So secret, by the way, these are, are these recordings that everybody has them, including me. Uh, but apparently he was recorded at a fundraiser. And what people don't realize is they call this a secret recording. That, oh, Mitt Romney captured telling us how he really feels. Anything that is said on the campaign trail by any of these guys, they know that they always assume that there's a mic around no matter where they are. They'll say, they'll always spew their talking points no matter what. So you might think that, oh, I'm, I'm getting a, there's not a camera around. I'm getting a, an exclusive here behind the scenes with Mitt Romney. No, you're not. You're not really getting any of that. Mitt Romney probably goes home and while he's doing his wife, I'm sure he's still spewing Republican talking points. I guarantee you, just in case somehow somebody has snuck a, a camera in bed, I bet while they're making out, he still goes, oh God, that's 47% of the people that don't pay income tax, Ann. Oh, Ann, these, these, these bums that don't pay income tax, I'm going to show them. Oh my God. Oh, I gotta, I gotta sell off my shares of Bank Capital, and I gotta, I gotta bankrupt some more companies. You know, I'm sure that goes. And Barack Obama's the same thing. I bet, you know, the only thing that this guy does, he probably still smokes cigarettes. This Barack Obama. I swear, between the two of them, they have a secret bet going to see which one of them can drive more people away from the voting booth. Who can drive more people away from their respective parties? I swear they must be doing that because they both say these ridiculous things. Mitt Romney is coming across as a complete elitist jackass right before our eyes. And Barack Obama is James Ismay. He's telling us that this damn thing, it can't sink. This Titanic, it's not sinking, man. We're not taking on water. There's not 89 million people out of the workforce. No, don't believe what you see, what, what you hear. Don't believe the facts. All right, so we're going to go through these secret tapes of Mitt Romney. But unlike all these progressive talk shows or conservative talk shows, I'm going to get out the truth detector and we're going to cut through all the BS and we're going to tell you what's true and what isn't. We're going to finally bring some common sense to this discussion. And I know it has to, I guess it has to be me that does it because nobody else will. All right, that's coming up. Plus, we'll take a look at the pop chart. We, I didn't get to that before, so I have to do that on this episode. We will take a look at the pop chart. Also, the Michael Graff Show's stupid news file. And guess guess who's calling Mitt Romney a liar? Probably the one person in Congress, well, one of the many in Congress that shouldn't. That and much more. Stick around. It's all coming up. The Zip Code Famous. Michael Graff Show. Gonna make it bend and break Say a prayer but let the good times roll In case God doesn't show And I want these words to make things right But it's the wrongs that make the words come to life Sometimes I feel like I am drunk behind the wheel The wheel of possibility However it may roll Give it a spin See if you can somehow factor in You know there's always more than one way To say exactly what you mean to say 
Segment number two. It's the zip code famous Michael Grav show on a Wednesday, September the 19th, 2012. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name Michael Grav show. On Google Talk, you can find me there, Groff Show. Or on Twitter, Michael Groff. So send me a hit me up with a tweet over there on uh, on Twitter at Michael Groff. Of course, all of our contact information and more is available at the one, the only, michaelgroff.com, folks. That is, uh, that's the place to be. It's, it's the happening place. Was I out of my head? Was I out of my mind? How could I have ever been so And if you donate to the website, I promise more hardcore porn. Unless, unless you're a conservative, then I promise... More, uh, what the hell? Uh, more, uh, more religious sermons. Yeah. Yep. I'm a man of the people, folks. All right. So I have the secret tapes, ladies and gentlemen. These secret tapes, they're very secret. Yes, the, the secret tapes that uh, nobody wants you to know about. You gotta talk very, very low very measured tones. We have to be very quiet because they're, they're very secret tapes. You may have heard them by now, but it's unlikely since they're so secret. Yeah, they're so secret because, though, everybody has them. See, well, here's what happened. There was a, um, there was a campaign fundraiser uh, at some point. I think this was months ago, to be honest with you. Campaign fundraiser. And somebody had a recorder in there and they were, you know, they, they had it on Mitt Romney. They were recording the whole thing. And you have to assume that when you're running for president, there's always going to be a recorder on you somewhere, sometime. As I was telling you before, I'm sure that even the most intimate conversations that Mitt Romney and Ann uh, Romney have, or, or Barack Obama and his wife Michelle, I'm sure that even those most intimate conversations, they probably just assume that there's a microphone around or somebody around, a, a journalist, somebody, somewhere, waiting to pile on. I mean, I'm just, well, not pile on there, but well, you, you know, you know. Anyway, I'm sure that there's uh, that that's what goes on. So that's what happened here. And of course, everyone says, oh my God, this is so scandalous. What Mitt Romney says, it's hard to believe. Is it really hard to believe? First of all, some of what he says is true. And then some of it is just the pompous elitism that we come to expect from Mitt Romney. And uh, I, I, I have the secret, the, the secret tape. I have it. Shh. Don't tell anybody that I have the secret tape, but I do. And I'm going to I'm gonna do something right now that's very scandalous. I'm going to play it for you. All right, now look, the audio is a little bit... Well, you know, it's not recorded. The, the microphone is not right in front of Mitt Romney's face. So the audio is a little bit... A little hard to hear. But you should be able to. We're going to crank it up here. And you should be able to check this out. This is uh, Mitt Romney, the secret scandalous tapes that are causing all the controversy. Oh, my God. Here it is. There are 47% of the people who vote for the president no matter what. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, 
to you name it. But that's, that's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 48. He starts off with a huge number. Uh, these are people who pay no income tax. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. And he'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every, every four years. And, uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them that they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the 5 to 10% in the center that are independents, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other, depending upon, in some cases, emotion, whether they like the guy or not. All right, so that's, that's the scandalous tape that's going around about Mitt Romney. All right, the, obviously the parts that everybody's so upset about is that Mitt Romney says that 47% of, of the people in this country don't pay taxes, all right? And he also says that uh, the, there's 47% of the people that he says are basically freeloaders that uh, just take government assistance, they get welfare, they get food, they get all, you know, all the government assistance and they just, you know, nom, nom, nom. They, they chew it all up. They eat up all the government resources. 47% of the people in this country, he says, uh, they don't pay taxes. And there's also that percentage that are freeloaders and that are always going to vote for this president. And he's going after the 10% of the people or so that are in the center. What got the Democrats all up in arms is when someone says, oh my God, 47% of, this, of the people in this country don't pay taxes. That is just, that's wrong. It's an all out lie. Well, actually it, it's... It's not a complete fabrication. It's not completely wrong. 47% of the people in this country do not pay federal income tax. They don't. That is the truth. It is something that is very, very easy to look up. You can just look it up on the IRS, the Department of Economic Security, the, the Department of uh, Economics here. You can look up the, uh, the facts about the IRS. And uh, I have here the 2011 tax for the for the 2011 tax year the statistics from the internal revenue service about who pays taxes and who doesn't and how much people pay and we'll get to that in just a second but yes indeed approximately 47 percent of the people do not pay federal income tax now where Mitt Romney runs into a little problem here is that those people some of those people do pay state taxes or local taxes um, obviously they're still, a lot of them are still going out and buying merchandise or buying groceries or whatever. So they're, they're still paying sales tax in their local area or grocery tax if they have that, or, you know, they're contributing in other ways. So that is a partially accurate statement for Mitt Romney that 47% of the people don't pay taxes. If he would have said federal income tax, that would have been a bit more, well, it would have been completely accurate. You know, and uh, so the Democrats, well, you know, we, there's so many people, the rich. And then, of course, they go on their rant about how the rich don't pay their fair share, even though, I mean, the stats are right here. Look, folks, this is not stuff that's very hard to research. The top 1% of wage earners in the United States, the top 1% pay 33%. And in the tax year 2011, the top 1% paid 33% of all the taxes that were collected. So of all the tax money that is collected, all the revenue that the federal government takes in, 33% of it comes from the top 1% of wage earners in this country. The top 5% account for about 50%. And by the way, the top 50% of wage earners in this country 
They pay it all, essentially. Like 98% of all the taxes collected are paid by the 99% or whatever are paid by the, uh, by the upper 50%. Let me see. So, yeah, 90, 96%. So there you go. And uh, so it is true that 47% of the people in this country do not pay taxes. Now, if you look at a family of four, and if you, if you make $55,000 a year or less as a family of four in the United States, you do not pay tax or you pay very, very little in taxes after your uh, deductions for your children. After your, uh, if you own a home, of course, there's a deduction. Even if you don't, though, if, so, you know, there's, there's uh, earned income credits. And all, if you add up all the deductions that you get, that an average family of four gets on an, an income of $55,000 a year or less, it's actually like 55300 something. But anyway, on, a, on, an, on, av- on an income of 55000 or less as a family of four, you take all the deductions, which account for about $36,000. You take all those, you, you subtract it down. So you, now you have $19,000 of taxable income. You know how much you pay on $19,000? You pay 2000 bucks. And if you have daycare for your kids, by the way, that's another deduction. Boom, $0 you pay in taxes. That's how people that make $55,000 a year, a family of four, or a family four, five, whatever, of $55,000 a year or less. That's how they pay zero in taxes. And, and even if you go up from there a little bit, it, the, the amount of tax that, the, that people in those brackets actually pay to the federal government is very, very low. So Mitt Romney is, is partially correct. It is partially true that 47% of the people in this country don't pay income tax. And that there's a lot of people, there's a, a, slim min, my, um, a slim majority pay all of the taxes. All right. Now, where Mitt Romney runs into problems is where he basically calls 47% of this country freeloaders and saying that they get government assistance, they're on government handouts and, and whatnot. Well, that's not really accurate. It's accurate, but it's not accurate. And here's why. Yes, it is true that 47% of the people in the United States get some type of government benefit of some type. But that doesn't mean that they're all getting food stamps or welfare. Some of them are getting Medicare and Medicaid. Some of them are getting Social Security or Social Security disability income. Some of them are getting Pell Grants or various types of student loans or student grants. Those are all from the government, and those all fall into that 47%. So those, not all of those people are freeloaders, Mitt. Those are people, some of those people are, are, are taking out loans from the government that they have to pay back, Mitt. Which really is more than we can say for General Motors, which got a huge bailout. General Motors got a big bailout. Have they paid it back? No. No, they still owe a huge chunk of money. Government Motors. But when somebody takes out a loan from the government, when a student takes out a loan, oh no, they have to pay that back with interest. And these grants that, that uh, people get, that's, yeah, that's something that the government gets for, for people that fall into a certain category, either a certain level of academia that they've achieved, a certain strata of, of, uh, you know, of accomplishment, or maybe they are in a minority group or a disability group or something that is protected by law. So they, you know, if they qualify in certain 
terms of uh, in terms of economics or in terms of areas of study that they wish to go into, they'll get grants. Or if they have a particularly good idea or a particularly good uh, track record in school, they get grants from the government. So yes, that does fall into that. But that doesn't mean that that person's a freeloader. In fact, that means that they have earned that money. They've done something to earn it. Or they are under a protected class of the law that under the Civil Rights Act or the Americans with Disabilities Act, they can actually get that money. So, you know, yes, there are 45 million people or so that are on food stamps and, and welfare in this country. There are, that's, that's a lot of people. So Mitt Romney, you know, but to, to ca characterize those people as freeloaders is a little bit uh, overboard. You know, that's, that's a bit much. Now, he didn't use the word freeloader, but he's, you know, getting handouts and all that and, and being very condescending and, and disparaging. But I think that's more a national tragedy that people are on food stamps in this. What is one of the wealthiest nations in the world, which has been historically one of the most prosperous nations in the world, one of the greatest nations. I'll still say the greatest nation in the world. I think it's a tragedy that 40 or 45 million people are on food stamps and, uh, and welfare and those kinds of government assistance programs. And yes, I would like to see that eliminated. Oh, the other stuff though. If, so yeah, maybe about 15% of the U.S. population, maybe about one in six people qualify or fall into this, this category, Mitt. Okay, but... Not, not the nearly one half that you wanted to throw out there for a label. So we'll give you partial credit on quoting stats correctly and, and throwing out some things. And uh, that's about as far as we can go, unfortunately. There, I've, I've resolved the scandal. Look, we know that Mitt Romney's a pompous jerk. All right. There's no question that the guy is a huge elitist and that he's just... Um, we know this already. And people say, well, he's out of touch. So, is that a surprise? Do you think, do you really think Barack Obama is in touch with what the average American lives like now? Do you really think he does? The guy made what? Um, how much money did Barack Obama make last year? I know he's, I think he made $4.2 million or something. Well, I know leading up to the election in 2008, he made $4.2 million. Do you think that millionaires really can relate to you and I? I know that Barack Obama at one point was a very poor kid and very poor guy. And, you know, I know that he, he didn't have wealth all of his life. He wasn't handed everything that he got. I understand that. But now, I mean, sitting here today in 2012, it doesn't take long to, for people to forget how much a loaf of bread is, how much uh, it costs to go out and eat, how much a, a doctor's visit is. Those things are not something that you... You know, when, when you have $4.2 million, you don't really need to think about that. You know, Barack Obama's kids, they go to private school. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just think that, you know, for anybody to accuse a politician of being out of touch and then they support, uh, they, they don't say the same thing about people in their party. Well, that's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. Oh, here's something. By the way, speaking of this, and I'm not, I'm not going to spend any more time on these scandalous tapes. I was going to quote you a whole bunch of stats about tax stuff here. I mean, I have it all here. It's just, 
I don't want to turn into a, a stats show because really, quite frankly, the argument that the argument that the rich don't pay their fair share is ludicrous. The argument that um, that 47 percent of the country is freeloading is ridiculous. So both the Democrats and Republicans are all wet on their arguments here politically. What we really need to focus on is how do you eliminate how do you cut down on the number of people that are on government assistance, i.e. welfare and food stamps? How do you help that? And what are you going to do about the burgeoning population, the baby boom population that's coming up now on retirement age or already is retirement age? I mean, uh, you know, look, my, my mother uh, is, is uh, getting close to retirement age. I hope she doesn't hear that. But I mean, well, look, I mean, she doesn't want to think about it that way, but eventually she's going to hit retirement age and she'll want to retire, I think. I don't know. She never wants to stop working as far as I know. But there will come a point where she's going to have to go, well, gee, I'm going to have to get on this Medicare system and will there be any money there for me in it? Will there be any money in Social Security? I've paid in my entire life to Social Security. Is there going to be any money there? You know, I mean, these are things that you have to think about. And uh, that's stuff that we need to be thinking about. Not, uh, not, not trivial issues and not stupid arguments about or you're a freeloader because you took a Pell Grant. I mean, if Mitt Romney really feels that, that people that get Pell Grants or people that receive Social Security disability or people that are on Medicare are freeloaders, he's got a problem. And I got to tell you, I don't know if this tape, I don't know if all this stuff is going to sink his election. I don't really know what kind of a chance he had in the, be in the beginning anyway. Mitt Romney should be able to, anybody... Honestly, anybody should be able to steamroll Barack Obama. I mean, the economy is, is in the toilet, folks. The economy is terrible. Unemployment is high. All these people are out of work. Our, our international policy is terrible. We, we're, we're, involved, we're still involved in these two wars. Now we're talking about warmongering with Iran. And yet, Mitt Romney or no other candidate could take advantage and steamroll Obama on all this stuff. I mean, he's basically continued the George W. Bush policies. He's basically, I mean, he's just as bad, if not worse than George W. Bush in a lot of ways. And yet nobody could come along and beat him because let's face it, Mitt Romney, I don't think he has a chance. I know he's very close in the polls and, but he's not, he's, he's, no, no. There's just no way. I mean, when it comes down to, to pushing the button or drawing the line or pulling the lever or punching the chat, whatever, you know that people are still probably going to vote for the president. I don't know why you would. I don't know why you'd vote for either one of them. But somehow, some way, people are going to, I'm sure people are still going to vote for the guy. They still, the change you can believe in. This is funny. Um, uh, so guess who called Mitt Romney a liar? Guess who questions Mitt Romney's integrity regarding his taxes and regarding uh, what, he, what he had to say on these secret tapes? Yes, everybody's favorite, the disgraced Democrat from New York, Charlie Rangel is back in the news, folks. Yes, remember Charlie Rangel, he is the, he's the well-known tax cheat he, he dares to accuse Mitt Romney of being up to no good with his taxes. Yeah, exactly. 
He dares to accuse Mitt Romney of being up to no good with his taxes. And here's a guy that is a tax fraud himself. <laughs> Charlie Wrangle, of all people. <laughs> oh, the pot calls the kettle black. Well, here, so here's, here's what happened. Charlie Wrangle said, I'm, I'm pulling up his quote here. Uh, quote, he's talking about Mitt Romney and 47% of the people not paying taxes. Charlie Wrangle says, quote, nothing could be further from the truth than Governor Romney's ridiculous remarks that nearly half of the American people do not pay federal income taxes. They pay other types of taxes, state tax. The 47% uh, cited by the Republican presidential candidate covers only the federal income tax and ignores income tax from the state. Uh, a higher percentage of, uh, you know, and he says, uh, the simple fact is that people may pay a higher percentage of their income in a wide variety of taxes. He continues, quote, Everyone pays taxes. Lower income persons pay state and local property, excise and sales taxes. In fact, when all federal, state and local taxes are taken into account, the bottom fifth of households pay about 16% of their incomes in taxes on average. The second, uh, the second poorest fifth pays about 21%. That's higher than... The governor paid in income taxes, Governor Romney. This again, according to Charlie Rangel. He, quote, he has absolutely no moral authority to accuse nearly half of the Americans of being irresponsible and freeloaders. And he continues on and on. Well, it's just funny coming from Charlie Rangel. You might remember Charlie Rangel failed to report $75,000 in income that he'd received from a three-bedroom, three-bathroom rental property that he owns in the Dominican Republic. At the time, Wrangell owed back taxes on the property for at least three years. Also, he took a homestead tax break on a home that he owns in Washington, D.C. for several years. The problem is Wrangell simultaneously occupied multiple rent-controlled apartments in New York City. So, Charlie Rangel was in, like, rent-controlled places in New York while he still claimed a homestead tax break on, on that. And then, of course, to make matters worse, you also have to include the fact that the D.C. home, he, he reported dependencies in that home, and he had a house in Florida, and he didn't report that on his taxes. Hell, Charlie Rangel even had a parking spot, which is your, that uh, is supposed to be uh, taxable income. The congressional parking space that he used to store his Mercedes-Benz for free on the taxpayer's dime. Which, you know, listen, that's, that's nothing really, except for the fact that, that is, you're supposed to report that as income too. So he couldn't even report his parking space on his income taxes. You know... The, one of the biggest tax cheats going is Charlie Rangel, and he's going to dare call Mitt Romney a liar and call Mitt Romney out and say that, oh, Mitt Romney has never paid taxes. Where are his tax returns? That's what Charlie Rangel says. Yeah, well, Charlie Rangel, where are your tax returns? And for that matter, where are your taxes? And frankly, Mr. Rangel, why aren't you in jail? He owes the IRS hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, and he's not in jail. And he's going to call Mitt Romney a liar and a tax cheat. That's hilarious. It is. Ironic and hilarious. 
All right, but just to show you that, you know, things are going so well right now and why you should definitely go out and elect Barack Obama, the economy is going swimmingly. And for proof of that, American Airlines, they're sending layoff warning notices to more than 11,000 employees, although a spokesman says that the uh, company only expects job losses to be about 4,400. So they're, you know, they're warning 11,000 people, hey, look, man, you could lose your jobs, but really, hey, it's all right. See, this is, the economy must be going because they're only actually going to wind up laying off 4,400 people. Are you serious? The, the notice went out to mechanics. We don't need those people. We don't need those airline mechanics. And ground workers whose jobs will be affected by when American uh, goes through a bankruptcy reconstruction or restructuring. American Airlines spokesman Bruce Hicks said Tuesday that fewer then 40% of those getting notices will actually lose their jobs. Hicks said that federal law requires uh, companies to notify anyone whose position is in jeopardy, including those who uh, may get bumped by more senior employees whose jobs are eliminated or outsourced. Now, Americans said that in February, it planned to cut 14,000 jobs, including 13,000 held by uh, union workers. But... If Hicks is right, the final job losses will only be about a third of that, about 4,400 or so. So anybody want to tell me how it is that they can spin, oh, the economy is recovering. Look, Mike, it's doing great. The economy is really coming back. Everything is going swimmingly. We're good now. We're fine. Hey, listen, no need to panic. We're in good shape. All right, well, if that's the case, if we really are in good shape, if everything is fine... Um, then why are we still seeing these ridiculous job cuts? Why are we still seeing the layoffs? That's what I want to know. It uh, must be more of that change you can believe in. We're really turning things around. All right, Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on GTalk, at uh, Michael Groff on Twitter, and, you know, all the other stuff. MichaelGroff.com for anything else Michael Groff related. Coming up, take a look at the Michael Groff Show stupid news file. We got a lot of stuff in there. Um, an Australian lawmaker made maybe some of the dumbest comments ever. The pop chart and so much more still coming up. Stick around. The Michael Groff Show. Faces were so empty, meaningless and negative to me.
up with segment number three. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grob Show for a Wednesday, September 19th, 2012. MichaelGroff.com for everything Michael Groff related. You can look up our contact information over there if you have to. Absolutely, though, if you're just too lazy, Mike at KMGX.com. Email Groff Show on GTalk, at Michael Groff on Twitter. Uh, my fax machine. Oh, wait, I don't have one of those anymore. Whatever. You know, these guys just came through town about um, two months ago. I think they were playing up at, uh, I don't remember. Maybe they were downtown or maybe at the casino. I don't remember. But uh, every time I've seen Yes in concert, I went there because of a different band. I was, like I saw them with the Alan Parsons Project once. I saw them with um, Asia once. Saw them with, uh, who else? Oh, my God. I think Alan Parsons twice. And then Dream Theater. I saw them with Dream Theater. Imagine two self-indulgent bands like Yes and Dream Theater. I mean, the concert went on for uh, about three years. Definitely my favorite Yes song, though. I will say that. Well, it's obvious because it's a bumper on this show. Um, anyway, where are we at here? Yeah, the third and final segment. Listen, I've got a political correctness update. The PC police are back and they're in full force, and we'll give it you get you that update in just a second. Also going to take a look at the pop chart here coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, it has been a while. I do owe you a pop chart update. Later this week, the worst song of the week. And I think it definitely qualifies. It is the worst song of the week. Also, later this week, another musical feature, the 20 worst songs of the 90s. Came across a list. You know how much of a sucker I am for a good list. So I found a list of the 20 worst songs of the 90s. We'll get you that. And um, just a lot more stuff. And, of course, election coverage because, you know, we just can't seem to get away from it. How many more days? 40, I think it's 47 days. Well, in, a, in about an hour or two, it'll be 47 more days until the election. Oh. I can't wait till it happens. I, listen, I know, I know that my guy's not going to win. I know Gary Johnson's not winning. I get it. I just want it to be over with. I, I just, if I'm going to get screwed, I want it to be over with. Sorry to be crass here, but to quote... Uh, the disgraced coach, Bobby Knight, if rape is inevitable, might as well enjoy it. And that's what we're going to get. We're going to get government rape. Regardless of who wins. All right. This is a very bizarre story from where else but Australia. Now, if you thought that only backwards, ridiculous thinking was restricted to the conservatives in this country. And, I, and I, I use the conservatives only because this is generally an argument that conservatives put up. If you thought that that was limited simply to the United States, oh, how wrong you are. It proves that small-minded thinking is really international. So there's a bill going through 
the Australian Parliament right now regarding gay marriage. Apparently, they want to take steps to make gay marriage legal across Australia. And that's certainly something that, um, you know, some of uh, some states here in the United States have gone with. Uh, it's becoming sort of the thing across the world now. Uh, people are starting to become more open-minded, and that's a good thing. Um, but, of course, remember, that doesn't apply to everybody, and it doesn't apply everywhere, and it certainly doesn't apply to uh, a member of the Australian Parliament named Corey Bernardi. He's a conservative Australian senator. He was, of course, forced to resign after he made these comments. He likened same-sex marriage to, just take a guess. It's been a while. You know, I used to get this on email. I used to get this argument from uh, a couple of the really hardcore conservative nutjobs on email a few years ago. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Corey Bernardi, Australian senator, compared same-sex marriage to polygamy and bestiality. Yeah. Oh, it's been so, so long since I've heard that classic argument. Yes, because, of course, two men or two women getting married is the same as having sex with a dog. <laughs> it's, the, it's really the same thing. It, wow. I can't believe that people still think this way. But see, it shows you. Evolution hasn't just stopped here in the U.S. It's not just from the Christian right here in the United States. It's, it's worldwide. It really is. Speaking on the gay marriage bill before Parliament on Tuesday... Outspoken liberal Senator Cory Bernardi described it as, quote, another tear in the fabric of our so social mores. Now, keep in mind that when they say liberal over there, they have two, the two major parties in Australia. They're, they're stuck with the same two-party garbage that we are, at least kind of. They're, they're, their system is different. They at least have room for other parties. We, we really don't. But um, their two major parties are the liberal party, which is sort of the equivalent of our Republicans, although... Keep in mind that when you're talking international politics, everybody's a little bit further to the left than even than anybody in the United States. So Republicans are like, like the liberals over there are sort of like our moderate Republicans. And then the Labor Party, which is their other major party, is like super Democrat. All right. They're super. They're actually liberal. I know it's very confusing. All right. So anyway, he called it another tear in the fabric of our social mores he went on to say quote if we are prepared to redefine marriage so that it suits the latest criterion of two people who love each other who should also be able to get married irrespective of their gender then what is the next step the next step quite frankly he continues is having three people or four people that love each other being able to enter into a permanent union endorsed by society there are even some creepy people out there who say it is only to have consensual sexual relations between humans and animals. Will that be a future step? See, you know what he just did there? He engaged in what's called a paralypse. Paralypse, this is uh, one of the worst tactics of debate. Anybody that you know goes through uh, a beginner speech course will learn this very quickly. So what he's now saying is the only way that he can make the, quote, logical link between gay marriage and bestiality is he'll say there are some people I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that people that I, I this isn't my opinion. Now, this is some people say. That if 
that marriage is really nothing more than consensual sexual relationships. So why not? So so people and animals uh, would fall into that category. Some people is I'm not saying it, but some people are. That's a paralypse when somebody does that. I am not saying Mitt Romney is an elitist jackass, but you know some people are. Some people are calling him. That's a paralypse. Um, of obviously the comments sparked huge controversy. Uh, the the Labor Party, they they got freaked out right away. Um, and even within the Liberal Party, uh, high ranking, high profile members of the party, including uh, somebody named Malcolm Turnbull, described this as quote hysterical, alarmist, offensive remarks. The Labor Party just totally flipped out and they said, listen, man, you got to get out of here. You, you got to step down. Even people in his own party, even people in the Liberal Party said, all right, look, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you got to get out of here, man. You're making us all look like jackasses. But you know who, you know, I understand that uh, they might need a, uh, they might need like a Secretary of State over there, uh, the Mitt Romney people. <laughs> you, you can go and join up with them. Oh, my goodness. Liberal, liberal opposition leader uh, Terry Abbott said that Bernardi, a South Australian senator, had offered to resign his position as his parliamentary secretary as a, as a result, and um, he accepted his resignation. Well, of course. I mean, the guy went, all right, mate, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get out of here because, um, you know, I, I got all buggered up in the brain box here. I, I, got, all, I got all buggered up. And uh, I, I, it's not right. I think these. Uh, I mean, if, if you're going to allow gay gay marriage, right? Then uh, the next step is that you're going to allow uh, people to um, hook up with uh, plants and animals. I mean, you're going to be out there go, doing dogs and and cats and all sorts of nonsense. You're going to they're going to be doing koalas. Next thing you know, next thing you know, guys are going to be out there doing koalas, mate. We can't allow people to do koalas. And kangaroos and dingoes and all that. What, are you going to allow somebody to do a dingo out there? Out in the bush, mate? I mean, people in Adelaide are probably already uh, into bestiality, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, well, I mean, we've had lawmakers say equally ridiculous things here. But uh, can you imagine uh, if if somebody in, in the Senate, if one of our senators stood up and said... Uh, I'd just like to, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if I could just say a few words here. Uh, if I could just say a few words, uh, I'd like to make a, a small a small uh, amendment here, uh, if I could, just, just a little add-on. Uh, uh, I just want to say that if we start allowing gay marriage, uh, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to allow, we're going to have to start joining up uh, people and cats and uh, dogs and, uh, you know, Arkansas, that's that's going to go over real well in Arkansas. But for the rest of the country, we, you know, we're not really, uh, not really into that. The, can you imagine? Though we have had state uh, representatives make that same claim here. Who was that a few years ago from I think Utah that made that uh, exact same statement? Like a state representative, not not on the federal level, but like a a Utah state legislature said the same thing. I don't know who it was. Oh, well, whatever. 
Uh, so that's the wacky politics of Australia. Nice to know that uh, it's not just here where you get uh, the stupidity. All right, we have a political correctness update. Political correctness update, and then uh, we'll take a look at the pop chart. So is nothing sacred anymore is always the question I have to ask. And, you know, of course, um, we first, we no longer say Christmas break anymore. We have to say winter recess in the public school system. We can't say Halloween anymore. We have to call it fall festival because, of course, Halloween is a pagan thing and it's very dangerous. Very dangerous because, well, um, and the kids, they dress up as scary monsters and ghosts and Power Rangers. And, you know, that's just all... Well, that's the sign of the devil, and so we can't use the term Halloween because of its clearly pagan roots. So, and I'm, you know, so we have to we have to call it Fall Festival. Oh, you can still dress up as, a, but you know, Fall Festival. Don't want to offend anybody. Well, now, of course, in our public schools, we can no longer have father daughter dances or mother son ball games. Nope, at least not in the Rhode Island school district. That's gone. Uh, a parent got a hold of the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and said that uh, that's it. I don't want to hear father-daughter dances. That's just wrong. These these gender, these gender specific or these gender stereotypical activities are wrong. We need those eliminated. So the ACLU stepped in and said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they went after the school board and the school board said, all right, well, I'm going to cave in. And that's the end. The ACLU says that such events, quote, violate the state's gender discrimination law. The organization challenged their their existence following a complaint from a single mom who said her daughter was prevented from attending a father-daughter dance in the Cranston Public Schools District because, of course, she's a single mom and dad's not in the picture. And because of that, her little snowflake can't participate in a father-daughter dance. And she felt traumatized and horrified by the, by the incident. And she'll probably require 20 years of counseling now. And uh, so it's, of course, since because one person complained. And literally, that's what it was. Because one person went to the ACLU and said this. That's the end. No more father-daughter dances. No more mother-son ball games. No more gender-specific activities. Nope. Can't have that anymore. Obviously, the story has created a furor across Rhode Island, but looks like these activities are done regardless. The phones at Cranston City Hall were already ringing off the hook uh, bright and early Tuesday morning when... Um, Staffers unlocked the doors. The outrage prompted a reaction from Cranston Mayor Alan Fung, even though he has no control over the schools. Quote, I am utterly disappointed that in uh, such a time-honored tradition is under attack, Fung said in a statement that urged parents to turn their fury on the school district. Quote, I implore the Cranston school community to review this decision and find a way to make this work for the children and their parents I encourage all parents that are upset with this decision to contact their school committee members and uh, make their voices be heard. Well, good luck because you're fighting the ACLU. And as we know, when it comes to school districts and the ACLU, if one person complains about something they don't like, 
That's it. It's the end. Now, of course, the schools will cave on that. But merit-based pay for teachers. Oh, no, no, no. We, we can't be having that. But uh, anything that's politically... Oh, my God. Father-daughter dance is just wrong. It's terrible. You can't have that. Because what about the daughters that don't have fathers? What, you, you can't have... Uh, you can't have like a, a male authority figure in there and just, I mean, is that wrong? So I ask once again, is nothing sacred anymore? The PC police, they ruin it for everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that is political correctness here in the United States. Yes, congratulations. All right, with that, a uh, another time-honored tradition on this show that the ACLU should go after, but they won't. Because God knows nobody wants to even touch this damn thing with a 10-foot pole. It is that time where we take a look at what's happening on the pop chart. The top 10 songs in the world of pop music, in the world of top 40. These are the 10 most played songs on top 40 radio stations across the country. And uh, I have them all for you. And uh, listen, when last we did this bit, it was probably about, uh, well, probably about 19 months ago. And uh, the music was terrible then. And let's see if there's been any sort of improvement since the last time we peeked in on the pop chart. Going to take a guess here. <laughs> Going to go way out on a limb and say no. Uh, it probably probably is still about the same. All right. Number 10 this week is Rihanna. This is Where Have You Been? Looking for someone, someone who can please me, love me all night long. I've been everywhere, girl, looking for you, babe. Looking for you, babe. Searching for you, babe. Okay, uh, so that is the number 10 song in the country right now. Rihanna, where have you been? And it only gets worse from there. I got news for you. As Justin Bieber, ladies and gentlemen, is at number nine with Boyfriend. If I was your boyfriend, never let you go. I think he's singing it to a dude. And the feminine the feminization of the music and the culture continues unabated. I don't think I think if if Justin Bieber got a hold of a woman it'd be like giving the five-year-old a keys to a Corvette I mean he wouldn't have any idea what to do there's no way he would even know he would be like he'd be like one of those geeks that plays video games all day and night 
and uh, plays Dungeons and Dragons with his friends on Saturday night. And a chick walks by. They, they just, I don't even know what she's doing with this. This a woman. Oh, my gosh. All right, number eight is... <laughs> number eight is The Wanted with Glad You Came. The stars come out And all that comes is here and now My universe will never be the same I'm glad you came Yeah. Slightly more tolerable than the other two songs, but still. You cast a spell on me, spell on me. You hit me like the sky fell on me, fell on me. And I decided you look well on me, well on me. So let's go somewhere no one else can see you and me. Turn the lights out now, now I'll take you by the hand. All right, and uh, number seven is Florida featuring Sia, and the song is called Wild Ones. Ow, that just hurts me. always got to be something about a club. Can't take it. Okay, at uh, number six, it's fun with uh, "We Are Young." You home tonight? We are young. So let's set the world on fire. We can burn brighter than the sun. actually don't mind that song. I heard that song uh, like in January or February on the USA Network actually uh, in their promos for their shows that they they just hammer to death on there but uh, believe me I would much rather listen to this song for an hour than two seconds of the next song. Number five, it's Nicki Minaj with Starships. Uh, let's go. 
go to the beach, eat, let's go get a wave. They say what they gonna say. Have a drink, clink, found a bud light. Bad like me, it's hard to come by. The patron, oh, let's go get it down. The sound, oh, yes, I'm in the zone. Is it two, three? Leave Honestly. Is what's going on? <laughs> what record company or producer hears that and goes, "Man, that's good." All right, I can't take it. Number four, it's Maroon Five with Payphone. Maroon 5 you know I, listen it, it's not the it's not the quality of music that we grew up with or anything but compared to the rest of the crap on the pop chart at least there's a couple of songs that are tolerable respectable I mean at least Maroon 5 is an actual band with actual instruments which is more than I can say for about five of the other acts on here so far Number three, as I understand it, this is a band from the Disney Channel or something. That's where they... It's kind of like the Jonas Brothers thing. It's, uh, I guess this is... Um, One Direction with What Makes You Beautiful. Sounds like the start of the Grease Megamix. Hey, this car is automatic. You're insecure. <laughs> Don't know what for. You're turning heads when you walk through the That's uh, the number three song in the country. Number two. Now, this this is the weird thing. This song's been out for a while now, and, and somehow it's still getting a lot of play. And it's like the biggest song in the country, basically. I hear it everywhere. I hear it at ball games. And I don't get it. I don't understand the popularity behind it, but it's somebody... It's... Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen with Call Me Maybe. Hey, I just met you. This is crazy. But 
much all this song does for four minutes. All right, uh, and now that takes us up to the number one song in the country. I wish I still had my sound effects. You know what? I'm not doing this without my. I, I got to find my drum roll. Where is where is that at? All right, I found it. I, I got the drum roll. The one thing I'll say about this, it is infectious. I can see why people get the song in their head, but... Odds that we're going to hear a follow-up from this chick, very low, though. When you have a huge song like this, very rarely is uh, the follow-up. Very rarely is there ever a follow-up that could even compare. And then this chick will disappear. And uh, she'll be saying this to employers. She'll be like, here's my resume. Call me maybe. She'll be singing that to you at Red Lobster during Shrimp Fest. All right, the number one song in the country. This is a little bit of a surprise, actually. I'm going to try to pronounce this, but I think it's got you. G-O-T-Y-E, got ya. And um, I like this song, actually. This is Somebody That I Used To Know. I really like this song. For once, the number one song on the pop chart, and I actually like it. It doesn't sound like anything else on the pop chart, I'll give it that. I don't know the lyrics, everything is like just the the way it's put together. will be making it into the bumper rotation eventually. I mean, it's a good song. 
See, the good news is, I, I heard this on one of the local stations, but I, I my, my terrestrial radio listening, at least for in terms of music stations, is fairly limited. So I don't, songs like this, I, I wouldn't hear to death. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be subject to them all the time, which is a good thing because then it would ruin it for me. It'd become Nickelback. That's a look at your pop chart. I do have one more thing from the Michael Graff Show stupid news file I want to get to. This is classic. I'll just leave this up. So, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. (laughs) They're investigating... Uh, a little incident. One of their helicopters, uh, it, you know, it, um, well, it, it was missing for a little while. I mean, uh, they, somebody just took it for a little bit. No big deal. Um, basically, what, what happened was um, there's a perfectly logical explanation, and, and it, this is a good one. And I know that if my dad were in the Customs and Border Enforcement, he probably would have done this for me, too. He would have been my wingman helping me out. Um, a teenager, the, the, the helicopter was used for uh, some guy's teenage kid to invite his girlfriend to homecoming. Because nothing turns a chick on more than seeing a, your, you know, a, a guy that you like flying up in a helicopter and says, Hey, would you like to come to homecoming this weekend? A CBB pilot allegedly used the helicopter while it was on a routine mission to hover over his son's high school in Northern Virginia and drop a teddy bear with the invitation last week. The pilot's son attends Patriot High School in Prince William County. Quote, We are aware of reports that a locally based CBP helicopter was used improperly by local CBP personnel on September 12th. CBP spokesman Michael Friel said uh, the pilot who had command of the helicopter was reassigned to administrative duties while CBP investigates the alleged incident. Well, it's important that we have that border patrol in Virginia. It's very important. We have to make sure that Virginia is protected from those bordering countries of, well, West Virginia and North Carolina. Very dangerous places. (laughs) CBP. All right. Um, man, you talk about a ticket into a girl's pants, though. You flying in a helicopter, you're in, dude. I mean, there's no way that this kid's not getting something for, for homecoming. All right. I mean, look, if you that's just that's just how it is, man. I mean, that's. Uh, well, um, I, we're going to we're going to rent a limo. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to fly in in a helicopter. Beat that bitch. Uh, that is great. All right. Well, um, on that note, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I got for today. Nevertheless, um, man, we learned a lot. Uh, first of all, we learned that the number one song on the pop chart is actually a song that at least I think is good. Not just listenable, but actually a, a good tune. And actually, there's like two or three 
marginally tolerable songs on the pop chart. This is a good thing. Unbelievable, but a good thing nonetheless. Oh, what a show. All right, Mike at KMGX.com. That is the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show, AOL Instant Messenger. And um, Groff Show on Google Talk, if you use Gtalk. Or, of course, you can um, send smoke signals my way. <laughs> Twitter, if you're on Twitter, Twitter.com slash Michael Groff or at Michael Groff on Twitter. Um, and, of course, the one, the only, michaelgroff.com for all of your other Michael Groff needs. You can always see when a brand-new podcast is posted over there. We do like to keep those up to date and up and going. Uh, while you're there, you can also comment on any show that you listen to, old, new, whatever. We do encourage you to comment. The contact information is there. You can read about the show. I also do little uh, write-ups to go along with these shows to give you summaries and just my thoughts on some of this other stuff in case you can't get enough of it during the show. Always something over there. And the most important part of the website is you can donate to this program. And that is at uh, michaelgroff.com. Donate to us. Uh, via PayPal, my PayPal address, just in case you need it, Mike at KMGX.com. We accept all donations, large, small, whatever. $1, $100, $1,000,000. If you want me to run for president, you know, maybe I should make a, a push in 2016. I'll be old enough, officially. I don't know. There's something to consider. All right, that's it. We'll see you next time for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. I sure appreciate you checking us out and tuning in all the time. Appreciate all the feedback and all the support, all the love. Keep it coming. And we'll see you presumably tomorrow, Friday, something like that, for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Good night, everybody. Everybody.